Hey, y'all. It's Kemeny. And it's Christina. From Truth Table. And you all have been asking us ways that you can actually partner and support Truth Table. And we have now created a Patreon. Hey, this is the deal. We need your help. We need your resources to make this happen. Go on over to patreon.com slash truthstable and partner with this work. Welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McCamony. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, C. How you doing, girl? Girl, I'm doing good. We got sunshine. Hey, yes, we do. <laughs> Praise God for the summertime. Amen, amen. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Yes, so. yes, yes, girl. I mean, so look, I am really excited about today's episode uh, because Absolutely. we have another um, special series, if you will. Um, and this is more of an inaugural series uh, that, well, mm. I wouldn't say well, itinerant. I, let me say it's an in, intermittent series, but it's an inaugural one because we, we have entitled it Black Women Rising. Yes. Um, and we have the distinct honor uh, of having a very wise uh, elder at the table with us who is an overcomer um, and a yes. conqueror. Um, and her name is Reverend Sharon Risher. She has written a book entitled For Such a Time as This, Hope and Forgiveness After the Charleston Massacre. Um, and now, as you all know, or maybe some of you may not know, but June 17th, 2015, mm-hmm. um, actually this year, it marked the fourth year anniversary since a white supremacist joined a Bible study meeting at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, killing nine men and women of God in cold blood simply for being black. Um, And I'm going to say their names because their lives matter. Yes. Reverend Clementa Pinckney, Cynthia Hurd, Reverend Sharonda Coleman Singleton, Tywanza Sanders, Ethel Lance, Susie Jackson, DePayne Middleton Doctor, Reverend Daniel Simmons and and Myra Thompson. These are the children of God um, who were slain. And Reverend uh, Sharon Risher is here to to talk about um, how the impact of losing not only her mother, but her Mm -hmm. beloved cousin, Susie Jackson, uh, Tywanda Sanders, and her best friend, Myra Mm -hmm. Thompson. She's going to talk about how that has impacted her. Um, But before she begins, I'd actually like to tell you all a little bit more about Reverend Sharon Risher. She's a mm-hmm. mighty woman of God and you all need to know her name. Uh, Reverend Sharon Washington Risher was born and raised in Charleston, South Carolina. She earned a Master's of Divinity at Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary and served as a staff chaplain and trauma specialist at Parkland Hospital and as associate pastor for con- congregational care at Rice Chapel AME Church in Dallas, Texas. Since the Charleston massacre on June 17, 2015, in which she lost her mother, two cousins, and a childhood friend, Reverend Risher has been an advocate for revising gun laws and is a spokesperson for the grassroots advocacy groups 
Everytown Survivor Network and Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. She has appeared on CNN, BBC Radio, Good Morning America, and CBS, and has been interviewed or written for Time, Marie Claire, Essence, Texas Monthly, Vogue, and Vox. Her advocacy work brought her to the White House where she witnessed President Barack Obama sign executive orders pertaining to new gun laws. She is a sought-after speaker. Reverend Risher has shared her story of loss, forgiveness, racism, and gun law reform with audiences across the U.S. We are honored to have you at the table, Reverend Risher. Risher, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's my honor to <laughs> be with you today. Yes, very much so. So just thank you. Thank um, you. Thank you so much. You know, um, it's something that we don't get to often do, but at Truth Table, we we have a high on admiration and regard um, for our elders in the faith who have gone before us. And so we, we truly are honored to have you here at this table. And, and I'm ready to just learn um, so much and glean from the wisdom that you have to share with us. Now, I, will, I, I do want to uh, lead off with, I think, the question that most people are thinking about in their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just that the fact that the world was stunned um, by the speed at which your sister, uh, Nadine Collier, uh, gave forgiveness, right, to the white supremacists. Uh, and I want to actually read an excerpt from your book uh, because it seemed to me, as one who was just watching the news, it seemed to me that they took her forgiveness and ran with it and made that a blanket, you know, a reality for all of you. But as I read your book, I realized that this was not um, something that you came to very easily. Um, and so I want to read from your book here. Uh, you were you were saying that you were at a church in Charlotte, visiting a church. And this is where you, I'm going to quote you here. It says, then I was at a church one Sunday in Charlotte. The music was awesome and the preacher was on a roll. He started <laughs> to talk about forgiveness. He told the congregation that forgiveness should be instant and is not a process because God wants us to forgive instantly. My heart almost left, leapt out of my chest. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. What about the people like me who are struggling to get there? What about helping us get there? Helping us know that it's okay to work through such a heavy spiritual act. I want others to know this. You can empower yourselves to speak your truth. You are allowed to articulate how you truly feel. You can allow yourselves to go through the process and then perform whatever acts you have to do to forgive. In my heart of hearts, I knew forgiveness would come for me at some point. I understood even then that forgiveness is one of the hallmarks of the Christian faith, end quote. Uh, So Reverend Risher, if you can, um, I would just love to just hear from you about your own process of forgiveness. What did that look like for you and how did you get there? To try to say uh, it is a process, but the process is very lonely and very isolating. You're dealing with anger and rage and Mm-hmm. You, your faith is shaken. Everything you know to be secured is turned upside down. Mm-hmm. And so then you're not thinking well. You know, grief affects your mind and your physical body. So that mm-hmm. whole process was just knowing that I had to get up every day and doing a lot of right. praying. And then there were times when I didn't want to pray at all. So everybody's process is going to be different, but you have to deal with it 
if you truly want to deal with it. You know, for my sister who was able to forgive him instantly, I finally had to get to a point where in my brains, I had to understand that God can use us in an instant for God's glory. And I think that's what happened Mm. to my sister and everybody else because they had not prepared to go there with that. Mm -hmm. But God could Mm -hmm. use you for that instant and then drop you back to being the regular person Mm -hmm. you are. Now, how you deal with Mm -hmm. yourself after you make such a proclamation, Mm -hmm. that's a whole nother story. And that's maybe why I was just so Mm -hmm. surprised with my sister, because I felt like I knew her and knew that that would not be something (laughs) that would have come out of her mouth. She would say, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so it was like, yeah. but you know, God is awesome. And I'm, I was glad mm. that I was able to go through that process with a loving family. I had to learn yes. and being isolated and lonely and not really being able to talk that I was allowed to mm. be able to do that. And my children allowed me space. Not everybody is allowed the space to deal with things. You know, God allowed me to be able yes. to not have a job, not have a nine to five, mm-hmm. not have to worry about, you know, I have to go back to work and perform. That was the favor sure. One of the many, many favors that have come out of having to go through such a thing. That forgiveness thing is hard. It's hard work and it's just not something that you uh, that you play with. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's, you're right. And I think um, I, I, I love that you brought up the fact that Nadine really didn't know that that was that that, that was going to come out of her mouth. I mean, she even actually expressed that uh, at the Emmanuel um, uh, uh, preview in, in D.C., which we will we will add her clip as, as well so that the audience can hear just the difference, you know, that that was instant for her. And it was an act, really an act of God in that moment and how God uh, and for you, it's an act of God as well. But in right. process, you know, so thank yes. you for sharing that with us to forgive Dylan Roof so quickly. I'm just curious about how were you able to do that? Well, I kind of started with Nadine. Oh, okay. Um, it just was one of those moments. Um, how can I explain this? Right. I just went up there. I didn't have the attention to say what I did. Mm. But something just changed. And I know my mom didn't want that. Mm. Um, she didn't raise us like that. And she know that I had a slick mouth too. <laughs> <laughs> and Lord knows, I just like, mm. it has to be you. Mm. It has to be you. Mm. They give me the strength, mm. the power, right. to say what I said up there. Mm. Mm. Let me tell you something, I was very angry. A lot of people think, like, how can she do that? Let me tell you something. I was really mad, mm-hmm. really angry. But when you look at it, you can't give this person the power over you. Right. Mm-hmm. You just can't. So the thing is to do is to forgive them. 
and for him, it's for you. And that's how I felt that day. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's so important to, to to be able to say out loud that um, that God's grace and mercy is shown in that instant instantaneous response mm-hmm. and also in the process yep. that um, God is still working in us and, and through us and shaping us, even if it takes what we would say is, is longer right. um, mm-hmm. to come to that place. And and. And, and can you can you talk to us a little bit about maybe even your own internal and you and you mentioned this in, in your book as well, um, maybe how that complicated your journey of of forgiveness when you have um, not just your sister's sister's response but I think also the way the media um, captured it mm-hmm. and replayed it and replayed it and replayed it in some ways used as a way to kind of put a bow on a tragedy to say, okay, now and, we can and that was part place. of the anger too. Yeah. You, you know, talk about, talk about that. Uh, I kept saying, I didn't want to sound like an angry black woman, but that was just who I was. It angered me internally right. that that America always wants to put a band aid on something. And so here we are, the black people in Charleston, South Carolina, where the slaves were sold, where we had to forgive and forgive in order to survive. Mm. And to me, it was like, here we go again. Black people, we always got to be the ones to forgive. Why? Why is this? I don't want to forgive him. I want to I want to feel my anger. I want you to know that this was not okay. And to me, it felt Mm. like, okay, we deal with this. We have all our kumbaya moments. And God knows there were a lot of instances where there was just more love than hate can ever be. But still in the historical Mm -hmm. context of black people and Charleston, we have to look at this. Not just all emotional and kumbaya. There are implications, historical mm. implications about this. I'm sorry. I'm sounding angry. <laughs> yeah. But I, I get very no. passionate. You sound a whole lot more well, gentle than I was saying. I mean, exactly. I'm a potty mouth preacher because I tend to be kind of potty mouth sometimes. <laughs> So I'm trying to be real good <laughs> and make sure that I can do my theological <laughs> understanding of the question. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh my goodness, you're doing well. You are. I mean, these are legitimate reasons to be angry. You know, um, you know. I think that as Black people, we we deal with and we we're always concerned with uh, yeah, and how stereotype threat. We is really what you're describing. When look we, good. Yeah, well, things ain't good, exactly. and it, and it's bloody, exactly. and it's ugly, and it's nasty. <laughs> well, <laughs> Here, well, you're right. You're right. You know what, Reverend Risher? I think it would be powerful talking about you know um, the good, the bad, the ugly. Just just bringing everything you know to the light. You did that in in your book for such a time as this. You did not hold back. I mean, you shared a lot of your your triumphs. You shared a lot of your um, your, your failures. You've shared a lot of the in between, right? Um, just talking about your your own childhood, your upbringing. 
um, even your uh, understanding of who you are um, with your identity, with regard to even your father. You said that you were born of violence. Um, uh, you, you talked about even um, your history with uh, substance abuse and how how you were able, by God's grace, to overcome that. And and I'm wondering if you could just share that with our listeners and 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 why you think it's important to tell the truth about ourselves and how the gospel actually empowers us to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth regarding our lives and well, who we are. You know, that old saying, the truth will set you free. Well, it does. You know, we yeah. live our lives mm-hmm. with this mask and this image of who we think we are and what we need to do to get to that place. We think in our minds where we should be. And life has a way of turning right. all of those dreams or whatever upside down and we get caught up and people don't want to admit that. Mm -hmm. And there was going to be no way that I was going to be able to write this book without telling the truth. What would be the point? Because I need people to see that we all are a throne, a stone's throw away from being at the bottom. One thing in our life can devastate us so much that we will be in a tailspin that we think we can't ever get out. And if you're going to be truthful, Mm. you're going to be able to say, I've been through my own whatever. I've been through my own addiction. I've been through my own phase of of whatever it is, Mm. because we all have had challenges if we are going to be truthful. And to know that the God that I believe in and the God I hope you believe in doesn't care about all of that craziness. God wants your heart. And when you're Mm. truthful, then you can come to God as pure as you could be. And to be able to say, because of God, I can overcome anything. And being truthful hurts. My kids were like, you know, yeah. gosh, Ma, you just putting all our business out there. And and I did. And my mm. ex-husband wasn't too pleased, Mr. Bernard. <laughs> he wasn't too pleased about uh, what was written in the book with him. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was a struggle. I mean, some days it would be a joy to write that book. And then other days it just took me to a place because yeah. I'm remembering a lot of hurtful things that I've kind of pushed down and writing this book made all of that come to the surface and it was pain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mother Richard, when you think about um, this, this excruciating painful losses Mm -hmm. uh, related to uh, the, the Charleston nine massacre, do you, are there events in your life from, from the history in your life that you went yeah, back so to much. Uh, so much. for strength? Or, mm-hmm. Is there something that stands out in your mind that this, it pulled you right back to that mm. moment? And can you talk to us about how that, how that eventually helped you or, or maybe even it caused you some additional distress? Okay. Ask me that question again. I don't think I got it. I need to hear it again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Because you share so much about your personal story and the many different things that God uh, was with you and helping you to overcome and, 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 and being your strength in those moments. I'm wondering with this, this tremendous loss related to the Charleston Nine, did, did you reflect on any of those previous moments, any of the, the valleys that you had been through 
that helped you to get through this deep, deep valley, this deep loss? Well, even though um, my uh, childhood was not what you call middle class or whatever, my childhood represented to me a understanding of survival, understanding that no matter Mm-hmm. What you have, you could go forth and you could be better. And so in the aftermath of all of that, I had to remind myself that I'm made of something. It's in my DNA. It's from playing in the streets of Charleston and going to all black elementary school and high school. And I went to an HBCU. All of my mm-hmm. cultural experiences was gave me the capabilities to stand up because to be able to survive in the national spot like like I did, that comes from an inner mm-hmm. thing that God says, I have chosen you and don't you worry about it. And to have the strength to stand up and do it. And mm-hmm. that's what I've done all my life. I've been able to stand up for myself and put myself in places where the gift God has given me has been able to be used in service of other people. So the ministry that I'm in now with uh, gun advocacy and preaching about racism and all of these different issues that came out mm-hmm. of this massacre has um, just formed me again, you know, I uh, went to a Presbyterian seminary and it was always Semper Formata and that's transforming and always transforming. And that's what we do yep. in our lives. Mm-hmm. We're always transforming. So here I am now mm-hmm. in the light years mm-hmm. of my life going into new territory and being scared mm-hmm. as I don't know what, but only only scared because mm-hmm. you're immune. <laughs> But knowing that whatever it is, I'm going to be able to get mm-hmm. through it because I can wing my way through anything. Amen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I, we're, we're going to move into hearing about what this next chapter looks like for you. But I feel I would be remiss not to take a moment to see if you could share with us how you came to find out about these losses. And I, um, as a person who's had to give horrible news. I, I mm. think about what it would mean to have to share or to be told um, about the events that took place in Charleston mm. concerning family members and friends, beloved ones. And do, and I imagine that's a watershed moment, moment in your memory. Can you tell us what it was like to get that news? Uh, that, that whole uh, second half of my shift, I was working that shift, 3D11, and I had been working with a, uh, a family whose grandfather had died. They knew that he was dying. So the emotional uh, distress of, of this family wasn't really uh, visible. And But anyway, there was paperwork to be done. For some reason that night, I did not have the paperwork. Had to go back to my office. The Lord said, check your phone. I checked my phone. Had several missed calls from my daughter. And that started the snowball of calling people and calling Nadine and trying to find out, Mm -hmm. going back and working with this family to get them out of the hospital so I could go back and try to figure out what was going on. And um, getting off of work, having to 
take almost an hour and a half to get home from work because I couldn't drive. I was so nervous and Mm -hmm. walking around my apartment with the news on, hearing about uh, not knowing that there were actual fatalities, but something had happened in that church and falling asleep and my Mm -hmm. phone ringing Mm -hmm. and uh, my niece saying, that uh, the FBI, uh, the FBI chaplain, want to talk to you, and I knew right then what that was. I kind of knew in the back of my mind all the time, because in me mm-hmm. being with the doctors, giving bad news, families have waited and waited in that waiting area and wait, and so I knew after it took such a long time what it was. But you know, as a person in distress, mm-hmm. you're hoping beyond hope that maybe not. But I knew in my soul that was happening and all I could do was scream. That's all I could do and grab Mm home to my little dog. And yeah, that it it was Mm. surreal. It was just, um, yeah, I don't think I, I don't even think I actually let her say the words to me. Right. Right. Mm. Mm. Reverend Risha, your 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 strength, you know, um, in your vulnerability, um, is just very empowering, and I think of a lot of uh, the sisters at the table will find uh, resonance and safety, you know, um, in that. Um, and as I was reading uh, your your book, I was really struck by um, how how can I say how um, consistently. Uh, you try to live out your 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 own um, values and ethics. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, um, when I was uh, re- when I read the chapter about uh, the trial, a sense of duty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You you said this. This was I think this should be the same page that our listeners will have. It's on page fifty four, and you say uh, when you're occupying a room with pure evil, yeah. you have to stand up on the inside with your head held high, right? And then on uh, page 50, I want to say it was 50 or maybe, oh, 61. uh, This is what the white supremacist uh, uh, said. Um, This is the the journal that, this was in his journal. I would like to make it crystal clear. I do not regret what I did. I am not sorry. I have not shed a tear for the innocent people I killed, end quote. Uh, So I was course, taken aback by that. I actually did not know. Uh, I had never read the journal excerpt before. Uh, mm-hmm. And I I was really struck, though, by your own wrestle with your, your position on the, the death penalty um, and how you, I'm wondering how you, uh, especially, especially for, for this individual, how it is that you came to um, hold fast to the, um, to your stance against the death penalty, uh, when this was, you know, an, an option for, uh, this man. Can you talk to us about that and what informed, uh, your, your position on that? You no, know, here we go again with hmm. me being a, okay. Like I said, with what happened in Charleston, there were many issues and people wanted to just delve on this forgiveness, but that death penalty thing was a big deal. Yes. You know, I had always kind of on the surface felt like, well, if anybody did something really, really heinous against children and old, you know what I'm saying? Just a kind of casual thing about the death penalty. And then 
having to really think about Mm -hmm. that, not just as a regular person, but Mm -hmm. then again, as a Christian, then Mm -hmm. again, as an African-American, knowing Mm -hmm. that the death penalty has been another systematic way of killing black people. Mm-hmm. And we have always been the one killed more than other people. Yes. I just kind of knew and had to, I really started to read uh, about the death penalty and read different cases and, and really struggled in my heart about what would God have me to do? Yes. Yes. And the same thing, mm. that Christian uh, understanding that I have. I mean, we just can't whitewash Mm-hmm. what God tells us. And we've been mm-hmm. doing that. We fit the scripture to what we needed to say. Mm-hmm. And I'm not an expert. I'm not the holiest person in the world, but God knows I try yes. to be convicted by the word of God yes. and to live my life like that, even when it hurts. Come on, And that's what it did. I had to really say, even for you, Dylan Ruth, come on. Mm -hmm. Mm. I know that the death penalty is not what God would have me to do. Mm. And I wasn't the one making that decision. Hallelujah. They had a jury for that. Mm. So my thing was, Mm -hmm. whatever happened, because I knew he would never get out of jail, whatever sentence they give him, I'm going to be satisfied with that. Yeah. And that's how it worked out. So, uh, yeah. And uh, I spoke a couple of years ago at a Texas death penalty uh, conference and met men that were exonerated, that were on death row, mm-hmm. confirming all along what God has said in my spirit. No, 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 no. Mm. So these experiences, uh, oh, my gosh, uh, like I said, it's just been so many different issues. Mm-hmm. If we really want to look at the whole context of what this, what that massacre meant in that church, yeah, yeah. it just wasn't about the forgiveness. It's a whole other issues we, as Americans and especially as Black Americans, have to pay attention to. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, uh, Reverend Risha, you just brought me to tears with that. Just absolutely, whew, that powerful just testimony of of doing the right thing when it hurts. I mean, if that ain't the Christian life, then I don't know what is, you know? And that's the thing, you know, (laughs) being a Christian is sacrificing, it's sacrificial. Come on. on. You know, you can't, you can't say you believe in God and all of that and you're not sacrificing. That's not faith. That's not understanding to me. That's my opinion. You know, if you're not, because God called call us to sacrifice, he sacrificed his son. Come on. So what do you think we're going to have to do in Come the on. human? Come on. <laughs> Woo, you preaching. Uh, I'm about to run around. Don't get me started. It's true. It's true. It's self-denial is the way to glory. That's yeah. it. That is it. I mean, we, we gotta, can't do everything we want all willy-nilly. We Come just on. can't. Come on. Because our lives are not mm-hmm. our own, you know? So I love, no. I'm going to move us. Not because if we else. confess with our tongues <laughs> and with our hearts, our lives is not our own now. Come so on. it goes to, did you really confess? Did you really, well, really say, God, I want to be saved? Come that on. That you are the Lord and Savior of my life. Did you really mean that mm. when you said the word? 
Mm, yes. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Those are those are the, the words that are coming. Paul, the apostle coming to mind now. Wow. Beautiful. Right. Beautiful. So, you know, Reverend Richard, you, you talked about the importance of us understanding the context of the, the massacre. Um as Black Americans, um, of course, um, but also the rest of America as well, right? Um, and so you, you 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 talked about yourself. You call yourself an accidental activist, right? Right. And uh, you, and you 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 address the importance of talking about race and racism um, in your book. And I'm wondering if you can explain to our sisters at the table um, why it is important for us to well, first of all, what is an accidental activist, <laughs> and why is it important to talk about race and racism? Okay, so the accidental activist part came out because I felt like I stumbled upon activism. This was not Mm -hmm. something I set out to do. I was going along with my life. And then Charleston happened. And like I said, uh, God just put another thing in me. I mean, when I started flying all over everywhere and being invited on Capitol Hill, I had a broken ankle. I was popping pain pills, flying all over. That was not me. Mm. It was like, God was like, okay, we're doing this, this, that, and the other. Take your pain pill, get your scooter, because we got to go. Right. And that's what I did. And so if we don't find within ourselves the ability to speak up for ourselves and for who we identify with, We already see that we will be oppressed, continue to be oppressed. We will never be able to gain economic status. All the things that we have to make us a part of America, if we don't stand up for ourselves, we can't continue to wait for other people to be our voices because we already know they're not standing up for us. Well, hmm. And if if those nine black lives had to be a way for God to use me to continue that conversation about racism and and, and the systematic and institutionalized racism, then, okay, Mm -hmm. here I am, Lord, send me. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. we have to. Not everybody Mm -hmm. may be on a national level like me or whatever, but you could use your voice for whatever lane God puts you in, if that's on your job or whatever, you know, Mm. there are ways to be able to use your voice to better yourself and, and to bring somebody else along. And I thoroughly believe that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm. This centuries long um, practice of attacking the physical structure of black churches through burnings, uh, black Mm -hmm. congregants, um, being targeted uh, through terroristic practices and even death um, is longstanding and inter- intertwined in American history. It, uh, Reverend Mister, why is it that um, do you believe that the enemy targets the Black Christian body, um, the Black mm-hmm. Christian space, um, in the way mm-hmm. that the enemy does? And what do you want us to learn um, from this moment, the suffering that you've experienced. So, wh- so wh- why do you think um, it, the black church is targeted in this way, and that black Christians are targeted in this way by white supremacists? I mean, he could have went into any, okay. any place, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my book, I talked about meeting Arno 
Malik Malikis. Oh, I always say his name wrong. Well, Arnold used to be a white supremacist. Mm-hmm. Was deep all in the white supremacist, and we ended up having a uh, a speaking engagement together. And mm-hmm. then he ended up picking me up from the airport, and I'm like, "Is these people crazy? Mm-hmm. They gonna send me a reform supremacist to pick me up from the airport? What I got to say to this man?" Right. But you know, right. the Lord is like, you know what? No, 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 no. We ain't gonna have you acting like that. So I began to relax. <laughs> he really started to tell me, yeah, he really started to tell me his story. And I'm okay, so I smoke. So I'm smoking a cigarette and I'm listening to him real good. And I really realized that there again, we all, for him at least, he talked about in the white supremacist ideology. Christianity is one of the things that they use as uh, Americans and people. Christians are hypocrites. They view Christianity Mm -hmm. as a hoax. And that's part of the uh, whitewashing that because our faith is so important, if you attack that, then you attack the soul of black people, but see what they don't understand. You burning down the body, the physical body of the church is not going to take away what carried us from slavery into now. And in it's in that faith it's in our DNA that no matter what you do, you can't take it out of us. But every time you do it, you hit at us and it tears your heart. So they could tear our hearts up where we get complacent than we are where they want us to be. Hmm. So for the black churches, uh, Hmm. we have to stand up regardless. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what you do to us, there are going to always be people who believe in the most high. I don't care how many churches you are. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's the way I look at that. And the church need to find a way of being able to be social and politically educated and woke because our parishioners need that. And which place do people come together of differences other than the church? So we, as, as, as people of God, we have to be able to preach social justice because the gospel is social justice. And we just can't sit by and act like we are not in the world. Mm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Reality. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. Yep. The reality. Um. And you you, you said so much there. Um. Just talking about how people are always going to believe. You know. Um. You know. Or, or there's always going to be a remnant, at least, you know, that will believe you right. know, in the Most High God, the right. one, the one true God. Um. Mm-hmm. Which reminds me, and we can't be. We 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 are to fear God, right? And right. Not man, fear the one yeah. who can kill your bo- your body and soul right. in hell, not the one that can kill your body. Well, you know? and, all, and also um, that is, and also that it's a whole gospel that it's not just a whole gospel, a, an yes. eschatological reality that it it is the what is to come informs what is now, and right. so yes. we are, you know, we. We, it, the, the gospel is inherently social. God yeah. is inherently social. And so that that truncated gospel is only to the advantage of those who would be oppressive. Um, right. So th- yes. thanks for lifting that up yes. for us. Yes, yes. And um, I, 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 and, and I think in the and in in the reality of black Christians in America is the, the reality of perseverance, right? Um, continuing to press on in the face of adversity, in the right. face 
of um, sheer violence mm-hmm. um, in the face of just um, unspeakable tragedy tragedies and horrors um, like like what you have done. You embody that um, Black Christian experience, um, Reverend Risher. And I'm I'm wondering if you can talk to our um, our sisters at the table about your new ministry, this new chapter that the Lord has opened up in your life uh, with with regard to your speaking, of course, um, and every town and moms demand action for gun sense in America, just your own act advocacy with regard to gun reform laws and, and just your speaking. And you, cause you, you were honest in the book about how it really is a walk by faith. And oh my God, how am I going to make it? What am I going to do? If you could just talk to our listeners. I'm, not, I'm looking at my bank account now like, Ooh, come somebody on. need to call come me. On. But you know, I know um, that. <laughs> it was like, I, I, I like, I, I just can't explain it to you. It was, you know, people started to call and ask if I would come and speak. And it was like, oh, okay. And especially after I walked away from my chaplain's job, I didn't know what I was yes. going to do. I could hear mom in heaven right now. Girl, you quitting your good job? What, you crazy? <laughs> I can't hear her. I, you know, what you going to do now? What, what you going to This ain't going to pay no. Oh, man. And I'm like, okay, God, you, 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 I'm following you. So, okay. And, but, um, uh, you know, every town and mom's demand action really gave me the national platform that I had to be out there speaking mm. at the Capitol. And because uh, they gave me that platform, because Charleston was such a, a national, international incident that being a part of their group, you could say, uh, gave them some diversity. You know, uh, mm-hmm. we're still their moms, chapters all over. Every town was the umbrella uh, group that started using survivors and using their stories to to educate mm. people about how gun violence had really ravished our country, especially uh, young black males, and how it's become a crisis. And I ended up, uh, uh, an agent contacted me because he saw a clip, and I signed on with him. And then the next thing you know, I'm speaking at colleges and universities all over. And uh, yeah, capital- yeah. so it just it just exploded. Sometimes I um, was dog tired, you know, going from this place to the next. And I was making a little bit of money, you know, nothing big money, but Mm -hmm. enough to keep myself afloat Mm -hmm. and pay my bills. But it's taking a toll on because I never seem to get out of what happened. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? I'm kind of stuck in what happened four years ago. And that's why I continue to try to bring a fresh look at what happened and just not continuously talk about what happened on June 17th, but all the issues that Mm. came out of that, that we have to continue to talk about. And um, my mission is to make sure nobody ever forget that those nine died because they were black people in a church. Yeah, and we're yeah, still yes, dealing yes. with this craziness yes. and it's going to be around. So I believe I'm going to be talking well, until the day I drop. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. And that's, and that, that is the call. I think um, it's a call to remembrance, yes. you know, but it's, it's also a call to a, action. A call it's to, a call to, 
every one of us in our Mm -hmm. own way can Mm -hmm. do something to make our lives better because we know there are a hundred people that are killed every day by guns and eight children. Mm -hmm. You know, we have Mm -hmm. to help ourselves. So uh, we have to Mm -hmm. be aware of what's going on. We have, but of course with gun violence, we have to go to the root causes of gun violence. And now we go to poverty and jobs and medical. So it's just so much. Mm -hmm. But if we all just Mm -hmm. do what we can do in the space God has given us, I believe that we can yes. move forward, that we won't move backwards, that we can move forward. Amen. Amen. And that's, that, and that's us. We are people of hope, a living yes. hope, right? Um, that's that's what uh, we are defined by. That's what holds us in. Um, that's, that's who hems us in, right? Jesus is mm-hmm. our hope. Um, and, and, you know, speaking of which, just about the, the, the victims of gun violence, your dear mother, um, Ethel Lance was one of them. And, and I, I'd like to invite you just to, uh, give a, have an opportunity for you to just honor her, um, here at the table, if you'd like to just share, um, mm-hmm. Just about her and what she oh, meant man. to you, and, and <laughs> well, yeah, just this is your time to do that. Uh, mama was a very, mama was formidable, complicated. <laughs> she went through so much in her young life. You know, yeah, she was thrust into yes. motherhood as a young teenager. You know, trying yes. to survive in Charleston with no skills. You know, and but mama always wanted better. Always did as a child. She was just never uh, content with just having a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the thing about her, she was always willing to work. If that meant two, three jobs, whatever. Mama would iron clothes for white Miss Ann and cook and, you know, Mm -hmm. babysit. Mm -hmm. You know, my grandmother worked as a domestic in the in the rich houses on the Charleston Battery. So you were always able to work if you were a go-getter, you know. And because they were surrounded by all this opulence and everything, they knew what good things were. They knew what these other folks live like. And in their small way, they wanted a piece of that. So that's where my mom's in wanting nice things Mm. and wanting better. And she knew that you can have that if you work hard. Uh, Mama loved James Brown. Oh, she loved, we would all get together. Put on James Brown. And she'd be in the middle when we were all home visiting on holidays. We would just have a good time dancing around her. And uh, she was very detail oriented about keeping her house clean. Oh, my God. Saturdays growing up, you did all your chores before you left out of that house, before you went outside to play. And you wasn't playing around with that either. You was going to do it right or you were going to do it until you got it right. And um, but she held a job for the city of Charleston for 35 years as a maintenance worker, but was very proud of making things decent and in order and clean. That was, if she had to have to be the one to clean up after everybody else, if Ethel cleaned up where you were, you knew it was going to be nice, that it was going to be well taken care of. And she felt proud of her work. The same way she felt proud of working as the janitor at the church. She was retired. She didn't need the job. 
but that's what she wanted to do. Mm. And she said, what other mm. ways to be close to God is in the church? <laughs> Come on. Come on. Yeah. So she, yeah, she, she was a lot of things, but you know, you couldn't go to my mom's house without walking out the door with either stomach full of food or some knickknack she just picked up from the Salvation Army. <laughs> she thought was cute and she'd bring it home. And she said, oh, let me give you something that, you know, whatever it is, you're going to walk out of there with something. And and that was the kind of person she was. Uh, yeah. yeah. Mm. Just down to earth and, yeah. Very humorous. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. I tell you, I, I, I love you recounting uh, your mother's knickknack ministry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that deeply resonates with me. And I imagine there are other people yeah. who have, have loved ones who are with the Lord who also had knickknack ministries. So thank you so yeah. much for just helping us to see her and reminding her us of her full humanity yeah. and the humanity mm-hmm. of uh, the others who, in our mind, from our human mm-hmm. standpoint, are God and that's the thing. They were people who had yep. lives, Come on. complicated lives, just yeah. regular people. They just weren't victims. There's just not, you know, a picture you Absolutely. see on a news clip. These were real live people. Absolutely. And uh, mm-hmm. to look at everything that God chose them mm-hmm. to bring about a bigger conversation than that we have just kind of shoved under the rug. Mm-hmm sacrifice mm. believing in god is a sacrifice and sometimes mm. sacrifice your life right. are you willing to yeah. sacrifice your yeah. life for god yeah reverend richard how, how do people get their hands on your book how how can they uh get this book mm-hmm. and support your work okay well uh, my website have. is sharon yeah. richer <laughs> speaks dot com www.sharonrisherspeaks.com the book is you can order the book on Amazon Barnes and Nobles mm-hmm. uh, Books a Million and you can also uh, order the book through Chalice Press mm-hmm. yes. wonderful Chalice Press and that's spelled C-H-A-L-I-C-E Chalice Press yes thank you so much yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you so much, Reverend Risha. You know what? I just want to, uh, you know what? Why don't I read one last excerpt okay. of your book? And then I'm going to invite Christina to pray okay. for you. Okay. Uh, let me find, I just had the page and now I have lost it. Let me, <laughs> here it is. I want to read, it's actually the final, I believe the second to last chapter actually of your book on page 115. 115. Um, you say this. Yeah. Okay. 115. Uh, I continue to say the names of those lost because my mission in life is helping other people know that hate won't win. I continue to call each name because they give their lives for a higher purpose and they should always be remembered. My mother, Mrs. Ethel Lee Lance, my two cousins, Mrs. Susie Jackson, who was 87 years old, and Tywanza Sanders, who was 26, a childhood friend, Myra Thompson, the pastor of the church, Reverend Clementa C. Pinkney, Reverend Daniel Simmons, Reverend Sharonda Coleman Singleton, Mrs. Cynthia Marie Graham Hurd, and Reverend Payne Middleton Doctor. I pray that whenever you hear their names, you feel empowered to help invoke change. End quote. 
Uh, Christina, can you pray for um, Reverend um, Risha? Yes. Gracious God, we thank you. We thank you even in the midst of painfully difficult situations. Your word calls us to give thanks in all things, even in things that we do not understand, that grip us with sadness and confusion. Yes. We give you thanks because we know that our hope rests in your hands. Yes. And we have this peculiar trust mm. that you will glorify yourself and that you will render good in yes. us yes. through even the most painful, ugly mm -hmm. situations. Mm -hmm. You, oh God, are not the author of sin, mm -hmm. but you will take the rags of this world and the sin of this world yes. and you will shake it and you will break it until it blesses mm -hmm. your children. We don't know how you mm -hmm. do this. We don't know how it's done. And we know that even while you do this, we stand sometimes in the corner mad as all get out, mm -hmm. angry and confused mm -hmm. and frustrated. But our hope is that you do this. And I lift up our sister, Reverend Richard, to you. And I thank you for yes. her life. Mm -hmm. I thank you for the ups and downs and the turns and the tosses. I thank you for her strength of character and how she has ministered for so long to people who were deeply suffering. And Lord, you even called her into a season of her own suffering. Yeah. And in that season, mm -hmm. you wrought in her deep faith. You've reminded her that she doesn't have to have instantaneous forgiveness to know that she's forgiven by God. And that even though you have forgiven us and you call us to be those who are forgiving, it is a process. Mm -hmm. And that your love mm -hmm. does not back up on us. Mm -hmm as you put us through this process. Mm -hmm. I thank you for her witness of forgiveness. I thank you for her desire to want to please you in being a consistent and congruent Christian, a person that asks in the midst of great suffering, in the midst of seeing wickedness on trial, a person that would ask the question, what would God have me to do? Oh, what a question. Not the question of why, although that would be fair to ask. Not the question of why me? Or how come, Lord? But the question of what would God have me to do? And Lord, I ask that you would give us all that kind of faith. Yeah. Give us the faith that we ask mm -hmm. the question, what would you have us to do? Lord, bless her ministry, mm -hmm. meet her needs, uh, bless her financially and spiritually, bless her entire family. And I pray that you will continue to shake good out of this horrific experience. Yes. In Christ's name, we have we pray. And in Christ's name, we have our only hope. Amen. Amen. What a mighty prayer. What Amen. a mighty prayer. Amen. Thank you Amen. so much. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. We want to thank you for coming to the table for such a time as this, yes. really. Yes. Um, and let's keep the conversation going. We want to, we want to, uh, sisters at the table, let's keep the conversation going. Tweet us your thoughts about Black Woman Rising for such a time as this with Sh Reverend Sharon Risher. Use the hashtag Truth Table. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Truth Table or email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget and rate to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Truth Table has a Patreon account now, so you can send your love offerings to www.patreon.com slash truthstable, or you can bless us at our PayPal, which is www.paypal.me slash truthstable. Truth Table is made possible in part by Pottery Studios. Visit pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bo York, and we have been your hosts, Kemeny, Michelle, and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye, y'all.